Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi, and with me is the Armin, uh, is Armin Navabi. Armin, how are you? I'm pissed. I do. Uh, and your choppy and your choppy connection and your robotic voice and your pixely your pixely visuals and yes okay but again this is what i have to deal with every time every time but it's okay yeah so um oh yeah i am pixelated yes very very pixelated but the good news the good news is that this is our first live stream um, after Trump lost, or did Trump lose? Did Trump lose? Armin, what's your take on this? First, let's do that. Yes, he lost. Everybody who who's, who thinks he hasn't lost, like you guys, seriously, what the hell? He lost. Jesus Christ! You who like? Okay, we're gonna lose patrons over this, aren't we? Okay, guys, he lost. Okay, if you're gonna stop being a patron because I'm telling you that he's lost, then. Then he won. Then he won. I'm on your side. Don't don't stop being a patron. I don't know. <laughs> so this is what happened. So Trump did lose the election very solidly. It was a pretty solid win for Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden won both the popular vote and he won the electoral college, probably with the same uh, vote margin as Trump won it with in 2016, 306, uh, and that was a win that Trump literally called an electoral landslide. So according to Trump's definition, Biden won this election in an electoral landslide, and he also got 5 million more votes and counting, right? But that's not the story. That's not the only part of the story. Um, There are many things, other things that happened. Trump did get 73 million votes and counting, which is more than what Obama got both in 2008 and 2012. Biden obviously got a lot more than that. Uh, but uh, Trump also won more minority voters than pretty much any Republican candidate in recent history. And most importantly, and relevant to this podcast, what's really interesting is about, according to NPR, 35% of Muslims voted for Trump, the man who called to ban them from their country. That's more than one in three Muslims. I know there are different figures for this, but um, this is from NPR's. Uh, election electorate data. All right. I don't oh. think saying more in total numbers is that big of a deal because haven't tr- both Trump. Well, yeah, because there's higher population and higher turnout. So technically, I, I don't know if this is correct. Didn't both Trump and Biden had more votes than even Obama? Like, yeah. like I think we should focus on percentages rather than total numbers. That's right. So they both did. Uh, turnout was a lot, but people are, you know, for the people who thought that Trump was just 
such an aberration, right? And he is. He's an incredible aberration. Look at what he's doing now. He's turned the U.S. into like a Belarus or a Somalia in terms of electoral like integrity and you know the integrity of the election. But you know, even somebody like that for them to get seventy-one million, seventy-three million votes is uh, the absolute number of votes that he got really does freak a lot of people out. And remember, like there's another thing that when it comes to the Senate, the Republicans held on to the Senate, the Democrats actually lost seats in the House. Um, so I, I actually think that in a way, this was a perfect election result. And I'll tell you why in a second. But go ahead. Right. Um, no, okay. So I was, I'm going to after we talk about why he got so many votes with Muslims and why that increased with both Latinos and Muslims, I want to also spend some time, I know this is going to be very unpopular to say, okay, but it seems like every side, like the pro-Trump side, the anti-Trump side, the pro-Biden side, everybody is taking a position that I'm against, like most of everybody, okay, that I'm going to take the most... I'm going to take the most unpopular position here, okay? And I'm going to defend the polls, I think, a bit. Because everybody seems to be, like, anti-polls and be like, oh, the polls got it wrong again. We're anti, like, num oh, screw the polls, screw the polls. Like, we're not going to listen ever again. We're not going to pay attention to them. Okay, so I'm going to try to, like, be, like, defend that a little bit. At some point, what do you, what are you thinking? Do you think the polls like we should stop looking at the polls and stop so, trusting the polls? I was watching this election very closely with Jay Shapiro, so we were talking back and forth. Jay Shapiro is the 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 guy who directed uh, Islam and the Future of Tolerance, the movie. Um, he uh, and he is a total data geek, so he had these spreadsheets um, mm. that he shared with me, and in that he was basically putting in the votes, projected votes by county. He predicted the Pennsylvania vote as it was happening, the margin, pretty accurately. And uh, he looked at, and I also did this, we both sort of looked at 538, Nate Silver's polling site, um, mm. and what how he called every state. He got, right now, if North Carolina goes to Trump and the rest of them are go as expected, he got 48 out of the 50 states. He projected them right. Okay, he projected the win using the, the polls. Yeah, using That's the right. polls, and uh, the and what he does is he's a poll aggregator, right? He's not a pollster himself, so he right. called correctly called forty eight out of the fifty states. He correctly right. called the election I, for Biden. He the right. the margin that he called for actually fell in a pretty good you know the area he they simulated I, the election forty thousand times, and you know right. where it landed was actually a good meaty chunk of uh the distribution so the, those the polls that he had i mean they, they were off in terms of the margins in some states but um they were off by around three or four points when they were off which is wait it's still within, within what happened more. what happened is still within the margins of error of the prediction uh, no in some cases it wasn't like this the congressional elections uh he got there were a lot of mistakes in the uh, con congressional elections, but the polling errors that they had were about three to four percent, which is the same as polling errors have ever been in history. So yeah, that well, is part no, of no, a normal. I didn't say there's error. no errors, but I'm just saying it was is within the margins that they yeah, within, that yeah within the would, expected yeah 
you wouldn't expect a merger. So it was for, so there's that. And also I think a lot of people don't understand there's a difference between uh, doing the polls and interpreting the polls. You could have yes. really, really good polls and analyze it poorly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people look at those an- analysis of the polls and the analysis of the polls, people come up with conclusions and those conclusions end up not coming true and people are like, oh, the polls were wrong. And the polls were done as good as polls can be done, right? And there's mm-hmm. always limitations to what the polls can do, but it's the best thing we have. Like people are like, I mean, it's still what happened is still more in line with what the polls were showing than people's guesses, right? Like people were, if you look at what people's guesses were, it was all over the place. Like the number of people that thought Trump was going to win, for example, like what were you going to go with if you don't go with the polls? The polls at the end of the day were a lot closer to what happened than any other model that you're going to, what other tool you were going to use. I saw a lot of yard signs for Trump in my neighborhood. Right. Everybody (laughs) I'm working with, they're college educated, but they really like Trump. Right. So here's the thing. Like people say like, okay, so here's, for example, what, what one thing that one of the limitations of the polls that people keep addressing and the pollsters address this themselves are the people who are shy Trump supporters who won't, who won't tell you that they're Trump supporters. Right. And it seems like that was also a factor uh, this time. I don't know. I'm not sure how big of a factor it is, but people are saying it was a factor. Right. Not, not as it, big as a shy Biden voter, like the quiet subdued by Biden voter. Like that yeah, was but, actually amazing right but whatever these the people okay but the shy biden voter did they not tell the pollsters no the shy biden voter is different from the trump uh, shy no, trump they, voter. they talk the to shy- pollsters, but they don't show up at rallies the biden barely has yeah and that's not what i'm talking about ellie i'm talking about the shy trump voters who don't even tell the pollsters that they're not trump supporters yeah, okay yeah. the shy biden voters they still if you ask them who you're going to vote for they're going to tell you they're going to vote for biden they might not show up at rallies and stuff okay but what i'm saying is like the people who who do not tell pollsters that they're voting for trump like what is the what is the goddamn pollster supposed to do with that right like you what do you expect you want them you want the people who are collecting poll data to just like read people's minds against what they're answering you right like again this is the best info like the people who are judging where this election is going to go based on how many people showed up at rallies or they're like, oh, look how much Biden speaks like this or who could support Biden if he speaks like this. Like, do you think these were reliable methods? Oh, like, oh, Trump is like, he's like people, you know, people so, psychological analysis, like, oh, people are only voting for Biden because they really hate Trump and maybe that not going to be a major motivator election. All of this stuff, all of these analysis that people have based on guesses, based on psychology, none of it will produce the results as good as these polls, as flawed as these polls are, as limited as they are. There's no other methodology that people use that would have given you a closer um, re- conclusion to what reality is, even though it's not going to be 100% accurate because of the limitation, because of, like, you don't know, try Trump voters at all. It is still the the best tool we have. And because it will always fall short as, as giving, predicting the future accurately as much as, like, a magic crystal ball will, people, every time it falls short, people are going to spread anti-intellectualism. 
people are going to try to use that as a method. So wh whatever side you're on, I mean, please do not let people use this as, and like, I mean, I'm glad Trump lost and stuff, right? But I want to now focus on defending data and science and intellectualism because that's that's a loss. So we won when it comes to like Trump losing. At least um, I think we won. I don't know. Maybe you guys disagree. Okay, then you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> but we're losing right now in something a value um, on all sides, both on Trump supporting side and the Biden supporting side, and people who sat at home side. Where it seems like we're losing the battle for intellectualism. Everybody is like, screw data. Then I guess screw the experts. Screw, screw data. Um, and and I don't want to ask them, screw data and go to what? Screw to like your own like guesses and psychological analysis and looking at rally sizes and sh crap like that. I almost were. Because if 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 that if we promote that, then we're gonna lose. We're gonna you know intellectualism is losing, and I need and we need to be careful about that. But go on. And there's so and there is a question to be asked. Like okay, so where the polls got things wrong, like the congressional races, Senate races, you know, House races, what went wrong? What was the the polling aggregates? What were the flaws in the polls? I mean, but the way to fix that is also through science and data. You have to go through a scientific method and you have to go to, through like, you know, proper, you have to do a proper sort of data analytics. You have to look at, um, what you missed? Were you calling people disproportionately on cell phones, live calls? Were you over-representing people who answered online? Um, were you not hitting, uh, were you not weighting things properly? Like, for instance, in 2016, uh, one of the things that they corrected for is that they did not weight populations based on education. So it turned out later on, after the election was over, uh, they found out that the biggest reason for people voting for Trump versus uh, Hillary Clinton was uh, education level. So people who had college degrees happened to vote Democrat and people who had who didn't have college degrees were less educated uh, tended to vote for Trump. So that is something that they waited for. They waited as in W-E-I-G-H-T-E-D. Um, they did that in the 2018 elections. 2018 elections, the midterm elections, the polls were actually quite accurate. Um, this time the polls were pretty okay, but uh, they did get the margins wrong. And the way to fix that is through learning more about data. Right. Anne is saying polls are imperfect. There's no magic ball to make these predictions. Yes, they are not perfect, but again, they are the best we have, right? It's like democracy. Jim, Jim is saying, I gotta admit that uh, the early the early on November 3rd, I thought the polls were really off. I was worried, but once the mail-in votes came in, things shortchanged. Yeah, it got closer yeah. to what the polls were showing. Anyways, well, I really do want to know. We knew that was going to happen, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the Bernie video. I mean, and, but yeah. he wasn't the only one. But this is weeks ahead of time. The moment that, uh, you know, Trump started talking about mail-in ballots, mail-in ballots, he did that, and he started fear-mongering about mail-in ballots, which have been used for ages, and they're actually the only way to vote in, I think, five states. Um, he started drumming up this paranoia about them, uh, because he knew this is exactly what's going to happen. It's COVID. People are not going to want to come out and vote. 
Democrats are going to encourage people to vote by mail, which is probably why you had such a huge turnout as well, because it's a lot easier to vote by mail. Um, when people knew they had that option, they vote, they count the immediate election day votes first. So the first night you would see a big red sort of mirage. You'd be like, oh, wow, Trump's winning everything. And then over the coming days, Biden would make up those margins because the mail-in votes would come in and then he could call it fraud. He's like, well, you know, I was winning. And then later on, all these other votes came in and they made them all up. So this was uh, the moment he started drumming up this paranoia. Everybody was talking about the red mirage that you'd see on election night. And everybody was talking about the blue shift you'd see in the days after. Right? Yes, people didn't, not only people knew that the blue surprise. shift is going to happen, not only it was obvious that the blue shift is going to happen, it was also obvious that the reaction to it is going to be like they're going to claim fraud. Exactly. Like that was that was even even not, the blue shift was not just wasn't the only thing that was predicted. The reaction to the blue shift was also yeah. people are going to be like, oh, they're going to see the Trump supporters are going to see this. They're going to be like, oh, my God, we're winning. And then the blue shift is going to happen and they're going to be crying fraud. Like that's how predictable that's how predictable they were that people saw this coming. Uh, Jim is saying, Armin, there are two strains. One is anti-experts. And the other is anti-authority. Trump supporters are usually both. Atheists are usually mo mostly on the anti-authority and more uh, for what intent intended, intended thoughts. Thought. Um, yeah, that's very true. But sometimes some people uh, try to disguise being anti-expert as if they're being rebellious and anti-authority. So sometimes people sell their anti-expert or anti-intellectualism as they try to make it more appealing to people by pretending like this, they're being anti-authority. I think this uh, is a really, really good comment, Jim. Yeah. Like I, yeah. this is like this distinct, the, the way that you're distinguishing between experts and authority, those mm. are two different things, right? right? Authority, you don't have to be an expert on anything to be an authority. And we know that from like religious leaders, right? The imams and the mullahs and everything. But um when you're an expert, that means that you have experience with something, you have education in something, you know a lot about something. Doesn't mean you're foolproof, and experts are the ones that will be the first to tell you that, right? But um, authority, if you have earned authority with expertise, right, that holds a lot more weight than just plain authority. But, you know, the, one of the things with Trump is that, you know, people say that Trump is maybe gone, but Trumpism will stay, right? That I think is complete BS. Can I? I can say BS, right? Yeah, you can say BS. Really, you think that's BS? How so? I'll tell you what, because I don't think Trumpism is scalable. I think Trump was a cult of personality. So here's the thing: that if you have, uh, and you know, then on my own live stream, we had this conversation at length. Um, is that if you took Nikki Haley, right, and you gave her the exact same platform that Trump had? ban Muslims, do this, like grab men by the whatever, or whatever she says, the equivalent of everything that Trump did, right? She can't pull it off. Don Jr. cannot pull it off. Eric Trump cannot pull it off. It's sort of like, and this is, I'm going to violate Godwin's rule big time, but it's sort of like uh, um, A-D-O-L-F. I'm not going to say his name, right? I can't say his name. No, you can say his first name, Adolf. Adolf, so it's like... Don't hey, say his last name. Yeah, like him. So, so what you have is... You still have uh, the God. How do I talk about this? It's like the NAZIs, right? You still not, have, um, yeah, not naughty, the neo Nazis. Oh God, that's so lame. 
the neo naughties <laughs> You still have that. You still have that movement, but it still revolves around that personality. There's nobody who took the torch from him. Yahtzee, so, Yahtzee. Yahtzee. So, so if you have Tea Partyism, regular conservatism, a whole bunch of people can carry that torch and take it forward. But when it comes to Trumpism, nobody can do Trump like Trump can do Trump. You could have given Trump a super liberal agenda. You could have given him anything. The ideology didn't matter. It was all over the place, everywhere. It didn't make any sense. You know, It, it wasn't even conservative because conservatives are about defending fundamental institutions. He didn't care about free speech, freedom of the press, nothing. Even those institutions, electoral integrity, doesn't care about any of those things. So he's not even conservative. He's just all over the place. But whatever he says, it's a cult of personality that lives on. So I don't think that that Trumpism can work unless Trump is at the center of it. And the difference is, yes, you do have the neo-Nazis or the Yahtzees or whatever. They're still around. But the only person who could galvanize 60 million of them to march in tune with what he said blindly was that one man. And with Trump, it's the same thing. You know, when he, his most important thing that he ever said was that if I, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose any voters. Like 235,000 people dead of COVID didn't lose any voters. Like it's just 73 million votes. I just don't think Trumpism is scalable like Tea Party conservatism is or like woke leftism is. A lot of okay. people carry, to carry that torch. Right. But Jim, Jim is saying Trumpism is hard to transfer to another person, but Trump plans to stick around and hold rallies and lead the Republican Party for the next four years. And on top of what Jim is saying, I will also add that he might run again in 2024. So there's that. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, and, and there's, but, a, there's a lot about that. And he might run again in 2024. Um, chances are they're going to bring down a whole bunch of indictments against him. Uh, he's going to be in a lot of legal trouble. So I, I don't know what they're planning, but I am pretty sure he's not going to be able to run in 2024. And the other really? thing is, like, yeah, he's not gonna be, I, I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think he can do it. Hmm. He's going to have way too much stuff going on. The other thing is, I think um, I actually do think that once January 20th comes, the new president's there, like his party, Mitch McConnell's just waiting for the time just waiting for the time when he can actually just come out and say, okay, you lost the election. Carl Rove has already done it. Some of them are there supporting, okay, let the process play itself out because they want to keep the voters. It's 73 million voters. 70% of Republicans now think that there was some issue in the election. So the congressional Republicans are not going to completely uh, turn back on them, right? Um, I mean, you know that there's a conflict happening and at Fox News. Fox News is being yeah. very, very anti-Trump. This is the best thing okay. that could happen is that the Republican Party, for you know, this is the best thing that could come out of this is if the Republican Party just eats itself. Like, yeah. it just turns on itself. Like, let them focus on, like, eating each other, like, destroying each other. That would be fantastic if there's a split, if there's, like, a schism. Mm-hmm. Right, the pro-Trump Republicans versus the people who the, the Republicans who want to move on and be like, okay, glad we got rid of that. Can we now move on? And the people who are like, nope, 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 let's stay with Trump. Like Trumpisms, you know, we want to keep it alive. And they're gonna see all these other Rhino Republicans like betray the people who are betraying Trump. Like this internal fight, if it actually escalates, 
will be really, really in uh, in the favor of the other side. Alex is saying, but the question is distinguishing the authorities from the experts. A question over which authorities and experts can dis uh, can dis uh, which authorities and experts can disagree. Guys, I actually try uh, trust with the methodology than the, more than the experts themselves. Okay, when this is why the scientific method. The reason why the scientific method is great is because the scientific method itself doesn't trust the scientists. The scientific method itself does not trans trust the scientists who are actually conducting the science. That's why it actually has has you know strategies in place to adjust for the bias of the scientists or the expert itself. Okay, but at some point there are some fields where there's some level of opinion um, is needed that you know that you cannot actually make it. You know, there's sometimes that the scientific method cannot be applied to certain things because the data the the data is not as clear, and in those situations we do rely on opinions of experts. But when we do rely on that, we have to hold those opinions with a much higher level of skepticism than stuff that just comes out of peer-reviewed academic research. Okay, so when you have peer-reviewed academic research, you still have some skepticism, but you are like. You just hold on to it a little bit more with more certainty. When you have like when you can't do that, you hold on to opinions of experts, but you hold on to those opinions with much higher degree of uh, skepticism than you know stuff that is just purely science, right? Um, but again, you understand that the experts could be wrong. But again, because of the experience and because of the amount of time that they have dealt with this data, you just know that that is more reliable than the opinions on average people, okay? That doesn't mean that you just accept their views as gospel. Jim is saying it will have to be someone from the state level to come up and beat Trump in the primaries uh, in 2024. The Republicans at the federal level are all Trump's B-I-T-C-H, and Trump can point that out. Yeah. Can, can so, you imagine, Jim, can you imagine one of the old school Republicans coming back after the the SHIT show that this is ridiculous. Anyway, the SHIT show that we've had over the last four years. Can you imagine Ted Cruz coming up? There's just not going to, it's too anticlimactic. Like what you've seen. And by the way, if Trump does run again, the primaries, he's going to walk over everybody again. He, he's just way too charismatic. And people just love the way he embraces his inner asshole. Right. He just, they, they love that. He, he, he is, he can actually everything that people, you know, do in the privacy of their own homes where they feel like, okay, we're not perfect. There's something, you know, that, that the things that they feel guilty about, he makes it okay. He makes all of that stuff okay. He makes, if you're secretly racist, if you're secretly bigoted, if you secretly make jokes about certain things that you shouldn't be making jokes about, he comes out and says all that in public and he makes people feel good about their bad sides. That's a universally relatable thing. I mean, this is something that I actually, Armin, and you and I sort of talked about on this show a long time ago, but then Sam Harris, uh, his uh, sort of eight-minute podcast, I don't know if you heard that, on the epiphany on mm -hmm. what makes Trump appealing to people. He, he pretty much said the same thing, right? And, and that's the thing. It allows people to, you know, when you start with a moral high ground, like a lot of the left and the wokish people do, you know, when you go and you start and you say, yeah, I'm above everything. I'm very, very moral. I don't do anything wrong. It's very easy to fall, 
Like when you're Elizabeth Warren, all you have to do is find out a little bit of an issue in your genetic sort of genetic test that shows that you weren't really as Native American as you thought. And suddenly your entire moral framework that you, the high standard you set yourself to comes crashing down. But when you're Donald Trump, right? And you already went up and said, yeah, I'm scum. I embrace it. And so you are you guys. And let's just come out with it. And it feels good. Then he can go out and he can say all that stuff he said on the Access Hollywood tape. And it's it's not. It doesn't crash down. He doesn't present himself as this like really, really good high level moral character. So there isn't a steep slope for him to slide down on when it comes to people's Ali, expectations. Right? Ali, we really need to, we're halfway through the show and we're not even talked about the Muslim thing. And that's in yeah, the let's, title. Let's get to that. Episode. So the and next actually, question. Bobo, yeah, Bobo is actually helping us trend. Um, great segue. Great. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So do you think it's a good idea that Biden will reverse the Muslim ban? Yes, that's a good idea. The question we have, and I think this is the main thing, is that at least according to the NPR poll, and I know they're differing numbers, and I knew this anecdotally, and I've said this here before on the show, that there are a lot of Muslim people who were sympathetic to Trump, to Donald Trump, just like people in all kinds of minorities. I mean, this is a guy who said Mexicans are rapists, right? And he it's called an American judge. He's like, oh, he's Mexican. He's not going to vote in my favor. He would say things like that. And Latinos, more Latinos voted for him than they voted for any Republican candidate before. Um, one Over one in three Muslims voted for him, even though he said he wanted to ban all Muslims from the United States back in 2015. Um, more uh, black people voted for him. But even though it was still a minority, it was about 12%. That's the key point. It's still a minority. People are like, hey, 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 look at this. Trump has so much support for black people. And I'm looking at it as like, it's still a minority. Like, yeah, it's a higher percentage. But that doesn't prove like, oh, my God, look, he's so popular among black people now. Like, it's still a minority. Yeah. But there is an authoritarian mindset. There are some people who like, who find the authoritarian thing appealing. Right. Mm. So there are um, just in terms of values, a lot of times, um, you know, people in minority communities tend to be more socially conservative. And this kind of talk reverberates with them. There was an article, Armin, I read in the New York Times, which I think is the best explanation I've ever seen about it, uh, is it talked about honor culture. Not in the Muslim world, but in places like where there's a big manufacturing class population, like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, places like that, where there is an honor culture, specifically amongst men, where if you're confronted with something or someone insults you, you have to fight back. You have to stand up for yourself. You're not going to take any SHIT from anyone, including YouTube, and they tell you not to swear. Right? You're not going to do any of those things. You're going to stand up. You're going to go push back and you're going to fight back and defend your honor and defend your self-respect and your dignity right now what's do you remember that video of joe biden when he told that guy the guy who said that you are um going to take away all our guns and he's like hey no you're full of the word you're full of it right he said and he and he swore and then he had a confrontation with him so that is the kind of thing people tend to uh, appreciate and respect there, even if the person is wrong. And this is, you know, what the what the article was talking about. 
and that that they have that kind of honor culture and the honor mentality um, is something that is very common, right? In a lot of these minority communities, in Black communities, in Muslim communities, in Latino communities, right? And that is something that has been shown. That, why do you, you know, think? But why do you think the Muslims voted for him more this time than last time? So there's, so I'll tell you anecdotally why, and this is what people in my extended family say, right? That why they like him, right? And um, first of all, his financial, uh, econ economic policies, businesses, like so, Muslims tend to be in the United States, unlike France and Europe. Uh, in the United States, Muslims tend to be among, they tend to be more financially successful and then to be higher earners than the average population the general u.s population so they're sort of upper tier uh they make a lot more money they want to save more on their taxes right so that's one of the main reasons that they do it uh, the second thing is i think this the honor culture thing they like the fact that he he sticks it to the to the man and that um he stands up for him that, they, that he fights back right they like that appeals to them like the ego and the honor aspect right that's the second thing um i, I think those are the reasons. One thing I've noticed is that everybody in my friends and family circle who's Muslim, uh, who where they have the Trump conversations, it's the men who always like Trump, and it's the women who always dislike him. So there is a sort of a gender gap as well. So if you know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, where you have, you know, the different needs people have, the bases like food and water and shelter, and then in the middle there's like economic stability and then at the top of the pyramid there's self-actualization so a lot of sort of first generation immigrants who come here to the west they look at economic opportunities right because that's something that they found lacking um they find that and they think that they, they're basically at that third tier right and um but people who've been here for several generations they've gone beyond the economic opportunity right they kind of think of it as a sort of given most people are generally okay in a first world country so now they're thinking of other things like social awareness right morality ethics um and doing the right thing creating a good safe environment for kids for kids treating animals say you know in a good way all that stuff and, and that's something that i don't think a lot of first generation immigrants have, have gotten to we still didn't answer Bobo's question. Oh, no, the answer is yes. It's a very good idea that Trump Biden will reverse the Muslim ban. Very good idea. Yeah, but but she wants to know the reason. Okay, so first of all, I always think it's a very bad idea to have any, any immigration policy based on any general country or religion as a whole. Like that is such a blanket, you know, ban is just such a bad idea even when it comes to most muslims for example are just nominal muslims anyways right it needs to be like even when you want to screen for even if you want to screen for certain people coming to your country i think it should be based on values um like if you are worried about the type of people that are going to europe and stuff um you might think like well if yeah i mean values islam is a value yeah but again the name Muslim is just so, so nominally used as a label on people that it's not going to be a very accurate way of banning an entire... First of all, it's very anti-secular to use a religious label or I know like Trump pretends like it wasn't, but like having a Muslim ban as a whole is a bad... It's anti-secular, right? Um, 
And also, it's not going to really screen for those values that you're, you're against, right? You could very easily not, not betray secular values and still um, stop the people that you want to stop um, by saying, yeah, we're not going to accept any homophobes. We're not going to accept any misogynists. We're not going to accept any one who uh, doesn't stand for secular values. We're not going to accept anybody who is anti-free speech. Uh, and I know you can say, well, people can lie. Well, people can lie about religion as well, right? Uh, but you could go have even tougher screening processes by saying not only we need to make, you need to, um, should, you should have no record of being anti these values, you actually have to prove that you have a record for fighting for these values as well. Like that would be like really tough screening process, right? And I think, but give it, I think like some people, and I think that's too tough, but I get, I think like, no, that is not, I think that is a very good screening process to have to be like, you have to prove that you actually fight for these values for us to admit you. And you can have zero mention of religion um, in, in your screening process, and that will already be extremely tough for so many people to pass. And that's not anti-humanitarian uh, because you might think like, wow, okay, that's really tough, a very tough screening process. Like people are not going to get in. You could be like, we're going to add, we're going to accept this many people in, right? Your, your numbers are not going to change. And just because somebody didn't man manage to uh, pass your screening criteria, that doesn't mean that means somebody else got in because this person's like good. And like as a whole, you're still helping the same number of people, right? Mm. Um, and you could also be, be, if you also add like education and skills to the, your screening criteria, that's going to be really hard for radicals or problematic people to be able to, like it's not going to be 100, you know, a, a tight, like it's not, doesn't mean that nobody's going to step through. But if you have these screening criterias, um, you, it's going to reduce it by significant by significant amount, and you might think that these kind of screening is going to be very expensive, but it's actually it's going to be a lot less expensive than the consequences of letting the wrong people in, right? So that's that's what I think. Yeah, I, think? I, 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 I I agree with that. I think that there's the other problem. The thing I'd add to that is that you know how do when you talk about a Muslim ban, how do you define Muslim? Right? For a lot of people, if you look at and I've said this here before, if you if you look at Gallup or Pew Research, according to them, Armin and I are Muslims. According to them, like, my daughter is Muslim, right? Because we came from Muslim families, right? Our parents registered as Muslims. That's how they define us. All ex-Muslims are considered classified as Muslims, according to them. If you're doing it by country, like the Trump Muslim ban does, right? Is it takes certain countries and just bans people from those countries, um, who happen to be Muslim, unless they can show that they're Christian or something else. Hey, it, when you have that, you are. We talked about how Iraq has, you know, seven percent of people in Iraq say they're confirmed atheists. Seven percent, and this is about six or seven years ago. It's probably grown, right? To all of those people, when you do a Muslim ban, though, they're considered Muslims. Right. I wouldn't be here. Armin wouldn't be here. You know, uh, Faisal Matar wouldn't be here. Like none, uh, so many Ayan Hirsi Like none of these people would actually make it. If Fareed Zakaria, he wouldn't be here. The guy who, the guy who developed this coronavirus vaccine from Pfizer. So you probably heard about this. Pfizer um, has uh, announced that their coronavirus vaccine, which is going to be revolutionary, right? It's an mRNA vaccine. Is uh, has a higher than expected efficacy rate of ninety percent, 
which is crazy. Like that's a huge, that's a, well beyond what was expected. And the guy who did it, Dr. Sahin, is a Turkish Muslim. So you can't, like when you say Muslim ban, it's just a really dumb way of going about screening. It is the most basic, most stupid and basic kindergarten way of doing things rather than being more focused and more surgical. I mean, to be fair, to be fair to you, uh, it's easy to European countries, though. It's easier for Canada and United States to get higher quality Muslims, given that they have an ocean between them and Islamic countries. So mm-hmm. you already get like like the people that come Muslims that come to your country as Canada and United States, they they have to buy uh, plane tickets, right? They can't just like they you it's so much they ch- they just can't like hire smugglers to get on boats and just show up in masses on your borders, right? They can't do that, right? So you're already getting people that have to apply for visas. Like you don't have to. There, there's no masses of people showing up at your shore without any going through any legal process that you have to t- take in. And not only they have to go, they are forced to go through a legal process of applying for visa. They also have to be upper class for them to be able to even afford to buy a plane ticket to come to your country. So they're like, even before you screen them, they're already screening themselves. And, you know, so that's why Canada and United States already is getting a much better quality of Muslims already before they even start doing the screening process. But there's another thing uh, with Canada and the United States side, and that's a good point. There's also another thing that um, just when it comes to integration, right, the U.S. has a very different system. You can't come to the U.S. and just get on social assistance. And because the social assistance alone provides you with housing and food and healthcare and everything, just way more than anything you had in your home country. You're like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can send my kids to school. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to talk to my neighbors. I don't have to integrate. I don't have to understand anything. I don't even have to learn how to speak the local language because it's good. Like That does not happen in the U.S. Whoever comes to the U.S., they have to eventually integrate. They have to, you know, this sounds, this is the libertarian thing again. You know, they have to um, make their own way and, and, start building their own life and earning their own income and they have to interact and integrate into the society that's a big thing about the us like with all immigrants muslim or otherwise they need to become part of it um in a lot of places in europe they don't need to they've got social democratic systems which i like but this is one of the downsides they just discourage integration now norway for instance has a really good plan of integration where new immigrants who do come from some of these sort of more patriarchal and, uh, you know, Muslim majority countries and cultures, um, they are given integration classes, just like in the US and in Canada, people are given, okay, learn English, learn English so you can get employment, learn how to get this, these sort of uh, training programs, orientation programs that help them adjust to the new society. So Norway's also Norway also has one that is based on values. This is how we Think of women in our country. This is how we think of individual liberty. This is what you should do when you find somebody who disagrees with you on something. And this is what you should not do. Those kinds of things are, and especially younger people, like having, like what Macron is saying is start instilling these values like early in school. It should be part of people's education. I can, before, before I address Bobo and Alex's comment, I do want to say that I am, I follow a, a lot of, uh, 
Muslim fundamentalists, and a lot of them wanted Trump to win. American Muslim fundamentalists, and mm -hmm. the reason they hate the Muslim fundamentalists, they hate the Democratic Party because they, they hmm? no, yeah, N not because of that. Uh, mostly because of the things that they do inside America, uh, because they think that the Democratic Party is getting close to organizations like CARE or Linda Sarsour or, you know, uh, Ilan Omar and these fake Muslims as they see it, like trans friendly, gay friendly, Western, like I know a lot of people here uh, think like Linda Sarsour is kind of like a Muslim fundamentalist or whatever, but not to the eyes of these Muslims. They are, these are Western approved versions of Islam that is, that is much worse, that they are, the Democratic Party is doing to Islam something that is worse than dropping bombs on Muslims in their eyes, right? Like they would rather um, Muslims die than Islam be changed like this, right? Mm -hmm. So they think that there are a lot of fake Muslims who are getting using, that are basically the Democratic Party is seeing them as a group of people that they could appeal to. And these Muslims, in order to be influential and accepted by Democrat, the Democratic Party, are accepting values and advertising to Muslims in the United States that they should also accept values, um, that they should modernize uh, in a way that is basically, you know, advertising something that is not Islam at all to Muslims. So if they think they think that they're losing Muslims in America, it's that they they think like what? It, Ali, can you reduce my audio because I'm hearing echo. There's, they think like the Muslims in America are being told that they need to change, they need to modernize, they need to get with the rest of the world instead of how it should be. And they saying like Islam doesn't need to change, the world needs to change. They say Islam is. They think Islam is not the problem. Islam is the cure to modernity. And these fake, pathetic, moderate, liberal Muslims are giving in to all the seduction and temptations by the Democratic Party. They're like basically se selling the dunya for akhirat, right? They're selling this world. They're being tempted by the Democratic Party. Like, hey, do you want power? Do you want influence? Do you want us to you know, make, take you seriously? Do you want us to give you seats in, in positions of power in government? That's what the Democratic Party is doing to Muslims in return for what? In return to acting like being gay is okay, acting like being trans is okay, acting like women putting makeup is okay, dancing is okay, music is okay. They're like, no, the Republican Party is like, they're like, bomb Muslims as that's better than you ruining Islam like this, right? So this is what the fundamentalists think. And this is why a lot of fundamentalists hate the, the Democratic Party more than they hate the Republican Party. Yeah, that's interesting. Like they it's also the Republicans like they also kind of speak their language in a way. Uh, they're you know pro life, 
pro death penalty, pro a lot of the things like the Republicans, and especially with the with the Trump people coming in, like you know, anybody who burns a flag should go to jail. Anybody, those kinds of things are actually that that mindset. Even though for them it's not the flag, it's the Quran, right? But for them, like that mindset mm. of uh, the Republicans, the authoritarian, or, or I shouldn't say the Republicans, but like especially with Trump, right, in the last four years, you know, this idea of, you know, he wanted to have military parades, you know, he wanted to, uh, you know, jail people for burning the flag. You know, he talked about the Constitution like it was right. a holy book. He was talking about guns. And you know, they complain about guns. the same things. They're like, they complain about men being women, women being men. They're like, yeah, you guys are speaking our language. They look at the liberal Muslims in the United States. They're like, you guys are like using he, like, they're looking at their Twitter bios of these liberal Muslims. They see he, him, she, her, they, there. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? And they, these Muslim fundamentalists, and they look at Republicans, and they're like, they they are calling that out as ridiculous. They're like, these Republicans, as much as we hate them, we get <laughs> they are yeah. speaking our language, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. they can relate with that a little bit more. So, but yeah. Yeah, the, you know the, everything. The way he'll talk about women. He's got three wives. He's got like five kids, and you know he's yeah. just the the whole thing is actually very very you know, and then the, the whole thing is very similar. Like that, mm. the parallels, and because people ask me all the time, uh, they are they say, you know, well, if you are against Islam, why are you against Trump? And I'm thinking, how are, how would I not be for one? Uh, you know, if I'm against one, of course I'm going to be against the other. Like the, the language, the mindset, the way that they present themselves, the fear mongering, right? The lying, the open, you know, going out and saying, you know, I don't trust this, I don't trust. Putting Steve Bannon saying that. This guy Fauci, Doctor Fauci, should be beheaded. You know. By the way, but, YouTube, YouTube, please. Who, if the human, if, if this gets a strike, and if a human ever looks at this video, we're describing other people's values. Okay. Here at Secular Justice, we are pro. We are pro trans rights. We are pro gay rights. We're against violence. We we want people's heads to be attached to their shoulders. Um, please don't be moronic. We're just describing other people's values, and we are against all of them. Okay, we're saying what other people think. We ourselves are very much against these values. Okay, if yeah. this gets a strike, if a human actually looks at this, we're just telling our audience what other people's views are. Okay, um, mm. and we are against those views. Okay. Yeah, I but I, for me, it really comes down back to that. Uh, that article i'm going to find the article and i'll put a link up with this but that thing about uh, the honor culture when it when it uh, talked about the honor culture and the sort of the male ego and the protection of male dignity right it's especially in in, in the manufacturing states and the blue collar workers and uh, how that has appeal like whether it's you know with donald trump or Prophet Muhammad or, you know, whatever, choose your demagogue, right? Any cult leader, any political leader that is, you know, that that influential, uh, people who speak that kind of language. Um, the parallels are just uncanny. We do need to, we're almost uh, time, uh, we do need to address Bobo's question and also Alex's comment. Bobo's saying, what do you, what do you see happening in Afghanistan and the Muslim world with Biden? How do you see the wars playing out now? I have my uh, the wars are very very unpopular at this point. Uh, the Afghanistan thing, I think it's been um, 
you know, it's sort of petered out. I don't think anybody really wants to pursue it anymore. It's expensive. It hasn't really gotten anywhere. It's not going to get anywhere. I don't think there's any U.S. national interest in that area to the extent that there was before. So I don't see that part of it really changing, you know, from the last four years. Um, I and, and the Muslim world overall, you know, th there is a war in Yemen, right? And I think that is a big deal. It'd be kind of interesting to see where Biden goes with that. It'll be interesting to see where he goes with Iran, right? Or whether he can do with that, anything with Iran, because Iran is obviously going to be wary. They had, you know, one treaty got ripped up, you know, another administration comes in, what are they going to do next? So I, I don't really know what's going to happen there either. The third sort of big thing that happened during Trump was the uh, peace treaties with uh, the Israel and the Arab countries, I think that dynamic is going to continue. I think Biden will benefit from it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Netanyahu and all these guys, like Netanyahu by forming an alliance with Biden, you know, all of, he's going to be able to, uh, he may be able to redeem himself a little bit as well. And probably- Give me, give me some time to speak as well, because we're running out. Yeah, yeah go for it. No, I just want to. By the way, let's give credit, some credit to Trump. The, mm. This whole bringing Israel close to Saudi Arabia and UAE and Sudan—that was pretty impressive. Let's let's admit that. Like for all the things that we crap on, that mm. that was pretty impressive. Yeah, we, we actually said yeah, said that before. We said, yeah. We did give him credit. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. That was, uh, you know, he deserves credit for that. But. Yeah, compared to everything else, almost everything else he does. Um, but yeah, Biden is going to try to bring the deal back with Iran. It's going to be more difficult from Iran's side than from Biden's side to do, to uh, say yes. There's a lot of internal, con we could do an entire show on this. There's a lot of internal conflicts right now in Iran with regards to saying yes to a deal or not with the United States. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be an SHIT show. To, to for Iran's internal politics to be able to uh, respond to that, okay? So the, uh, it's more predictable what Biden is going to do. It's more unpredictable what when Iran is going to be, be doing, okay? I think it's going to be. I think Biden is going to be a bit tougher on Saudi Arabia and Turkey. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, and I think I agree with you again. These are uh, might not. It's it's a little, a little bit unpredictable, but I do think that is. Um, the you know the deal that Israel did with some countries, Islamic countries. Yeah, Biden is not gonna throw that out. He's gonna build on that up probably. Um, but when it comes to Afghanistan, the problem with some of these wars are they are hugely unpopular, but they're also not on people's radar anymore. That as much as they used to be. Okay, so people don't talk about the Afghanistan war. And that's usually motivation for people staying in these wars, okay? Because you, Ali, you say they're expensive, but they, being expensive means they're profitable for some people from some special interest groups. And mm -hmm. being profitable means that it might be expensive to the taxpayer, but that doesn't mean that the people who have the right influence are going to stop it just because it's expensive to the taxpayer, right? There are enough people that are making so much money out of these wars, and they with the, with the enough in, with the right influence, they might be able to get these wars going because not enough people. It's a boring topic that that people are not going to talk about, right? So even if they're unpopular, if it doesn't show up on people's radar, 
that's going to be enough motivation for them not to, as long as they don't escalate it, they could just continue going. But maybe they're not. Maybe because there's going to be so much pressure from the progressive left on Biden to 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 pull out of these some of these places. Maybe that pressure is going to make him pull out. We don't know. Okay, this is very um, this is going to be a war between progressives. Okay, this is the reason why it's so unpredictable is because I don't know who ha who's going to have a bigger influence on Biden, the progressives or the lobby groups, military industry lobby groups or progressives. Who's going to have a bigger influence on Biden? That's going to determine when whether Biden is going to continue a lot of these wars or pull out of some of them. Okay, so we'll see who has the bigger influence. Yeah. We do need I, to address. So I, I actually, my my bet's going to be that it's not going to be the progressives as much because of the way that the House elections turned out. So I, mm -hmm. I don't think uh, the progressive because the thing is a lot of the progressives like Ilhan Omar and you know AOC they run in places where you know the, the pretty much everybody's a Democrat so they don't really have to they don't get primaried or anything like that so he is going to try to focus on mm -hmm. places where um, there are races happening that are more controversial and and try to probably support the more moderate Democrats. Um, Alex do. is saying uh, screening mm -hmm. criteria need to be advertised widely abroad. Uh, people who want to immigrate can assess their chances and know what they're letting themselves in for and even change their mindset. But the thing is, Alex, these screening criteria are advertised widely. Like when you go to these other countries, you can see like there are a lot of people uh, telling you. The problem is they are advertised, but the problem is sometimes what the governments tell you, what the governments want you to think about the screening criteria is not what actually ends up happening. And the, the people know this, right? So, for example, let's say France was like, oh, if you come, if you come, this is going to happen. But the reality is that something else is going to happen. They're going to find out that, some, that, that the truth is different from what is being advertised, okay? So what, what France or United States or Canada or Germany, what they want people to think, they do really, they do advertise that. Like, they are advertising that. I think what they need to fix is to make the reality on the ground be what they're actually advertising, right? I, I, because if they if it's different, then people are not going to trust them in the future. If if France says if you show up at the store, this is going to happen, but actually something else happens. First of all, the people are going to find out that that's not true. Second of all, you're going to be an unreliable source of information, so people are going to listen to smugglers rather than the government what France is saying next time they want to. So you have to make sure that you actually you're consistent with what actually what the truth actually is right but these people are like the, the, the information travels really fast and there's so much like the people that are risking all their lives to make take an action like this they have been waiting for years they've been saving money they've been making plans and they go online they talk to so many people they talk to people who made it they, they talk to people who failed so it's not like this information is not going to be available to them. They, they know what they're getting themselves into. And sometimes they know it more than what is being advertised. Mm -hmm. um, uh, okay, so we need to end this very soon. Last question. Okay, Bulbul. Bulbul is a new patron, so we need to do this. Okay. Do you yeah. think the far-right wave around the world will die down because of Biden's win? I'm especially interested in how Biden's win impacts India and Modi. Uh, th so that's mm. another topic I think that we should probably have a whole episode on. But I, yeah. I don't think it's going to die down. I think that it's going to be weakened. I think there's going to be a good amount of pushback against it. Uh, there already is. 
and people are sort of tiring of it uh, to some extent. So, yes, I think it'll be a 10 I think I think this is a blow both to the far right and to the woke Estonian people. Yes. Trump losing is a blow to both sides. But that doesn't mean they're going to die down because whatever fuels them is this is not the only factor, right? So there's many different factors that, that make these two movements grow or die down. So even like this might be a major blow to them, but there might be something else that happens, like, I don't know, may, a giant migration, like, you know, that happens. I don't know, something that happens that might be a boom boost to both of them. So even if this is going to hurt them both, there might be something else that helps them. Some something happens that helps both of them a lot. Uh, but specific. So if I say this is going to hurt both of them and they all of a sudden grow, it's not because this didn't hurt them. It's because there are many, there are many, many different factors that uh, we have to take into account. I think right? if you look at two things, that what you're seeing with Emmanuel Macron in France, mm-hmm. a liberal who was Barack Obama's best friend, like they were like joined at the hip. And you see uh, the Biden win, right? And the repudiation of uh, the far left when it comes to the congressional election results, uh, but the win for Joe Biden over Trumpism. I think all of that uh, coming together is just really encouraging. Is encouraging, and I think what Armin's saying is correct. Like there is a a there's a complete fatigue that people have of these extremists, right? Whether they're woke left extremists or far right extremists, they're just done with them. They just want boring normal just regular crap again mm. you know like it used to be they're just tired of it they wrote it out and it's just i i think that there's a level of exhaustion that's happening around the world and, yes, and these signs like you know macron and biden and everything i think that they're very good signs all right let's end this here and let's hope for more boring let's hope for more boring right like we yeah had... be best everybody be best, <laughs> be best. yeah are we gonna keep using that be best yes forever forever, forever? That's one okay thing be... in the trump legacy that is gonna <laughs> live on <laughs> be best okay the secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the illuminati and the covert support of israel and the cia that's what we have been told but we haven't received our checks yet If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.